bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. If you know me, you know that from the age of seven, I fell in love with hockey and still a big fan to this day. And my guest today, we will talk about it and help me celebrate the game here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. The month of April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month. And here to give us more information on the terrible things that can happen while driving distracted is my sponsor, Mike Bryant of Bryant Shaw and Bryant Law Firm. In Pennsylvania, a teenage girl that was about to turn 18 was driving her brand new car home when she looked down to check a text message and struck a tree, killing herself and injuring a friend in the car. The average message takes 4.6 seconds to create. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. Please don't drive while intoxicated or allow your friends and family to do so. No text message or phone call is worth dying for. Find Mike Bryant at MinnesotaPersonalInjury.com. MinnesotaPersonalInjury.com. Mike Bryant, seeking justice for the injured. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. And as I stated in the opening of the show, if you know me, you know I'm a huge hockey fan. I fell in love with the sport at age of seven in one of the second six, six cities, St. Louis, and uh, moved to Minnesota to go to college at the University of Minnesota. And... Um, Kind of met today's guest earlier, probably doesn't remember, but uh, today's guest is a uh, lifelong hockey person. He was born in Minnesota, played youth and uh, high school hockey in Minnesota. He played his college hockey in Minnesota. He was drafted in the ninth round um, by the Minnesota North Stars, which was also a second uh Six original team, 
I played 12 years in the pros with teams like the Ottawa Senators and the Florida Panthers. Played his first NHL NHL game at the age of 27 and is now busy raising hockey players and training other people's hockey players. Today's guest is Lance Pitlick. How you doing, Lance? I'm doing great, JB. Uh, excited to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Sure. So, Lance, let me hit you with this. You and I have people in common. And the first thing I'll say is I used to do your laundry. <laughs> <laughs> when you played, played at the U, I used to come over and pick up the dirty laundry to take it over to Beerman to wash it. So, and uh, I worked closely with Harry Broadfoot, and I know um, Patty very well. Patty Babcock. Yeah, and yes. Probably. Who's that? John Hamry. Yes. Was there yep. Yeah. John was there. And um, matter of fact, John came back for a little bit and was the uh, director of ops. But he's since moved uh, on. But, uh, yeah, so our paths has crossed before. So That was a lot of beers ago, though, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there was a lot of, a lot of, lot of things before. Um, and, and thank you for uh, coming on today while you're on the DL. He, you, Lance is recovering from knee surgery, so I hope it wasn't anything major. Nope, it was uh, just nothing dramatic. It just started hurting one day and it never went away and finally got to the point where I had to have an MRI. So I got a torn meniscus, still uh, pretty sore. Uh, I'm get if it doesn't if it's not doesn't calm down by the 25th I'm getting an injection if that doesn't work then I'm going uh, knee replacement so I'm getting to to that age but uh, all in all I'm operational and still can do pretty much everything I want to do for the most part. Well, being that you were born in the the state of hockey and played your youth hockey in Minnesota, what is your fondest memories and where did you play grow up playing uh, youth hockey? So I had two sections. Uh, I was born in Fridley, grew up in Blaine. If you know where the Blaine super rinks are, yes. when, you come, when you come out of the super rinks to uh, Highway 65, I think it is, straight across the street from there is a trailer park. And oh. that's, where, that's where I grew up uh, until I was about uh, probably seven, six or seven years old. And we moved to Blaine. So I started playing youth hockey in Blaine. I believe my first coach is Dennis Simi. God, that was a long time ago. And his son, Brent, and I were really good friends. Uh, and then going into my fifth grade uh, year, found out my parents were getting divorced and uh, splitting up. So my mom took my brother and I, and we moved to New Hope, Minnesota, uh, with my grandparents and my uncle. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Played the, my rest of the youth hockey with uh, with New Hope Crystal Youth Hockey, and then also uh, played high school hockey for Robbinsdale Cooper High. Okay, and at that point, uh, you caught the eye of Doug Woog, correct? I don't know if I caught the eye of Doug Woog. I think it was a guy named Bill Butters. Yes, was, I remember uh, Butts. <clears throat> so Butts was uh, the defensive coach and. You know, he played professional hockey, and he was just an animal right. uh, fighter. And 
uh, you know, there was one skill that I had that uh, I was better than most at, and that was taking advantage of players who weren't paying attention <laughs> of where I was on the ice when they were on the ice, uh, when they had their head down too long or when they bobbled the puck. And if any of those three happened, there usually was a little meet and greet yeah. and bodies were flying around. And I think uh, that that's what uh, caught the attention of Bill Butters. And um, my high school coach, Kenny Staples, was a, he was a former professional catcher. I think he played a little bit for the Twins. And he was, he was just a junkyard dog as well. So uh, I think it was my high school coach and then a college guy that was a, from similar stock. And then me, it just kind of was a perfect storm. Well, um, a couple of stories about Bill Butters. Uh, Bill played on a um, World Hockey League team that the movie Slapshot was kind of based on. So (laughs) (laughs) he would tell me stories about that team all the time. And the other thing was I took the hockey class from Bill at the U. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And he made me put on the pillows. So (laughs) he made a lifelong goalie out of me, you know, starting in college at that point. So because no (laughs) – Nobody else would wear the goalie equipment in class, so he's like, "Hey, you'll you'll do it, won't you?" It's like, "Yeah," but uh, he goes, "I'll talk you through it." <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because uh, I actually did take class. You know, you take it during the during the hockey season, so your your uh, class load's a little lighter. But I was always uh, uh, wanting to learn, and I'm like, "Well, I'll play goalie." So I played goalie during that class too. How funny is that? <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I, you know, Bill is the type, he'll talk, talk anybody into anything. Great guy, great gentleman, but he, he can lay it on when it. <laughs> so what do you recall about your recruiting uh, uh, time? So for me, I, you know, obviously times were different. Uh, we, we didn't have the, the mobile phones and uh, access to, to all this information. So, uh, believe it or not, you'd get a few, if you're lucky, get a few letters in the mail from different colleges. And I think I might've had three that I got, mm-hmm. uh, North Dakota, um, maybe Duluth. And then, uh, I didn't even get one from Minnesota. I can't remember, maybe Wisconsin. It, it, they were good schools. But no one asked for me to come out on a recruiting visit or anything. And probably about a week or 10 days after I got those letters in the mail, uh, I was passing my high school uh, coach's class, his room, and he was sitting in the doorway. And he said, hey, called me over and he told me that uh, one of the gopher coaches wanted to stop by the high school and meet with us in the next couple days. And. Uh, so I agreed, and we sat down with them. Uh, it was Bill Butters that came here, and he proceeded to just tell me one thing after another of what he loved about my game. <clears throat> so it was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, not many people have said that. And then he ended it with, and we want you to be a Minnesota Gopher. Uh, so he offered me a half scholarship. Uh 
and I accepted on the spot. Um, and that's basically how it began. Well, you know, times are de- definitely different now, and we'll talk about the world of college, <laughs> college hockey and college sports later on in this podcast. But um, so when you, 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 you agreed to come to Minnesota, you got here, but something must have uh, taken a hold of you to advance your skills to the point where, um, you know, you moved on to the pros. For, uh, do you remember a certain period clicking for you at the U? Uh, <clears throat> you know what? I think I was just a byproduct of being a small part of a, a big machine. Uh, you know, my the first three years that I was there, we made it to the Final Four. Um, my sophomore year, we lost to... Harvard in St. Paul, I think it was in double overtime. Still haven't watched that game, so yeah. I, don't, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that, you know, it was this college is a, a great way to, to be able to have some patience and let a player develop. And I definitely was, from a skill standpoint, uh, on, on the lower end, but like I said, I brought a physicality and kind of a, a gritty style where I could kill penalties and block shots and, you know, play physical. So I fit into, you know, I filled the role on that team. But, you know, my pro career, um, you know, I didn't even know if that was going to happen because I think it was early December. Uh, we were playing at Mariucci at home and uh, puck got chipped out. We were just in the offensive zone. I went back to grab it. I was going forward. I pivoted backwards and then went forward again. And when I pushed off forward, I felt something pop in my groin. And that basically was the end of my college career. Um, so I didn't know, you know, if I was going to play pro. And uh, at the end of the season, uh, my agent got a call from Bobby Clark, who was the general manager of the North Stars at the time offered offered me a contract, a three-year deal uh, for a college kid that didn't have much money, gave plasma once in a while just so he <laughs> right. could eat here and there. Uh, it was like a, you won the lottery. So I went, you know, I called my parents and they put together a, uh, a little get together with our, our family and friends at some local restaurant and Three hours later, I got a call back from my agent, and he said that uh, they pulled the, the offer. <laughs> so I didn't know what was going to happen. And at that point, I you know, was mad and kind of had a pity party, and that lasted for about a day. And then all of a sudden, uh, I started thinking differently, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make a call. So the guy who got me drafted for the Minnesota North Stars who really pushed hard for me was a guy named Glenn Sonmore. Mm-hmm. I had never met him before, but at the time he was working with the Philadelphia Flyers. So I had my agent call him and tell him the situation. And I don't know how they, he got me drafted for the North Stars. And then uh, within 24 hours of that conversation, the exact same contract was, uh, was on the table. And um, so that I ended up signing that contract. It was a four-year deal, and I began my uh, my professional career with the Philadelphia Flyers. So, uh, was it like was it a two-way contract, and what was it like going from 
as you said, not even being able to get pizza money together to like, uh, you know, going into the pros and and playing. Um, I'm assuming you you had to play some minor league hockey there for a while. Oh, we got a long way to go here, JP. <laughs> but yes, I played a lot of minor league hockey. So, you know, the contract that I signed it was a four year deal. I think I was making seventy five thousand in the minors. Might have signed for like forty thousand. Um, and first thing I did was just bought a, I think I bought a blazer or something, brand new car. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're playing, but, uh, I didn't know what to expect to pro hockey because, you know, I was kind of sheltered at Minnesota. Uh, it was all, all I've ever played with was guys from Minnesota. There was two, two players at Minnesota, my four years there that weren't Minnesotans. And that was John blue. Mm -hmm. He was uh, California goalie. And then Steve McSwain, he was from Alaska. So I go into my first training camp and, you know, you got all those and then you got Canadians and the Europeans and, uh, all these different personalities and, uh, ways to communicate. So it, it was a lot of fun. It was a hockey melting pot. Uh, but my training camp didn't last long. Uh, they call it having a cup of coffee. I might have had a practice or two up there. And then I got sent to uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, where their minor league team was. And that's where uh, I started my uh, AHL career. And, and can you uh, kind of give a short synopsis of a minor, minor league hockey life? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can give you a, you know, my first year that we, I played down there. I mean, it's interesting JB, because when you're in college, the one thing that happens is, you know, the upper class, when they're leaving, they go play pro hockey and they come back and they're, they're like, Holy cow. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a grind of a season. And you're like, what are you talking about? All you do is practice and play games. How hard can that be? <laughs> <laughs> You know, but then you start getting on the bus and, you know, I'll tell you that this first year, this, this is, uh, you know, a typical, I mean, this, this was an extreme week, but I mean, you, you travel a lot. So Hershey is the oldest AHL franchise in the league. So because of that, they always get uh, preferential uh, picking of when they want their home games. So Hershey typically would have the majority of their home games on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So we had played, this happened twice. We played a game Wednesday at home, Thursday, you wake up, you have a practice and then you jump on a bus and you could go anywhere from uh, three to six hours away. You would play uh, a Friday night game on the road and then you would come back home right after the game. So you get home in the middle of the night, get a little sleep and then play a game on Saturday. Uh, and then twice this happened, we had to jump on a bus and we had to take a 12 hour trip to Hamilton, Ontario, and play a, like a two o'clock or a 12 or a two o'clock game. I mean, you literally just got to the rink, grab your bag, it was wet gear, and you went out and played. <laughs> and then after, you 12 back, 12 hours back to the, to uh, Hershey. So uh, that part of it, I, I never had the junior hockey experience, so that, that was, that was uh, all new to me. But what I found out is, you know, players are, are pretty uh, crafty and uh, figure things out. So, 
you know, there was, we didn't have a sleeper bus. It was just all chairs. So, um, rookies, they have to double up in their chairs. Uh, and then veterans all have their own chair. So I was a rookie and, uh, I hadn't, no one had asked me if they wanted to, you know, sit together. And I noticed that no one was taking the seat right in front of the bathroom in the back of the bus. And that's where all the veterans were. And that's where I wanted to be. So I'm like, Hey, if no one wants this, I'll, I'll go back there because they, the seats didn't go back. So I ended up getting that chair and getting all these veterans. Well, you find out that once it's ready to go to sleep, you got one guy that uh, lays down uh, on the floor, brings one of them like foam mattresses and rolls that down on the floor. And then the other guy stretches out across the, the two chairs. Um, so I, 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 <laughs> I, I hit the lottery on that because uh, otherwise that whole year I would have been trying to sleep uh, sitting down. So that, that really kind of thickens your skin. And I kind of think it's like uh, boot camp for a lot of these military branches where, you know, you really weed out uh, the, not the weak, but you, you see who can uh, handle pressure and being uncomfortable and then still going out and being a professional and doing your job. Um, so I did that for three years and uh, go at the end, uh, towards the end of my third year, uh, we had a coaching change. Or no, we didn't. It was Mike Eves. I mean, you know Mike Eves. Mm -hmm. Remember? Yes. Um, uh, so he was my coach, and I, I loved him. And one thing in hockey, normally, unless there's an injury, if you win a game, typically the lineup doesn't change. And we bust to Rochester, New York, and he posted the lineup uh, as you're walking out of the bus you could see. And all of a sudden, I'm not, I'm not, I'm out. I'm a healthy scratch. So I right away went up to him and asked him what's going on. And he told me it's coming from up top and they want to give some younger guys a chance. And that was it. So I, I was a healthy scratch and I went on to be a healthy scratch for just over three months mm. where I didn't play. Um, and that, uh, you know, I think I played maybe one or two games at the end of the season and you know, that ended my third year and I still had one year left. So the change was, is normally I went to Philadelphia's um, camp, but this year they said, just report to Hershey and then you'll be reassigned from there. Um, so I ended up, you know, I, did, I thought I was going to the East Coast League once I got there. So I had a pretty good year training that, that summer. I felt good going into camp and uh, Mike Eves got let go and he was replaced by a guy named Jay Leach. Uh, who had previously been coaching, I believe, at the University of Maine. Um, I'm not positive. That was a long time ago. But started camp, and uh, all of a sudden, like two or three days into it, he pulls me into his office, and he says, uh, have you ever played forward? <laughs> and I, I go, Coach, I, I, I can tell you right now, I can't play goalie for you, but if uh, I can stay here, I'll, I'll play any position you want me to play. So... For some reason, we connected and he kept me around. So I, I made the, the team out of camp, but I wasn't playing. So I think we were like five games into the season and we were in Cornwall, Ontario. And one thing when you're a healthy scratch for a while, you know, when you start traveling around, you know what ranks have the best chicken fingers and chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> 
I, re- I remember at Cornwall having great chocolate chip cookies, but I'm, I'm just sitting in the stands and it was one of those games where they just lit us up. And uh, every time Cornwall would score, they had fireworks that come out of the scoreboard. So going into the third period, I think we're down like seven or eight to nothing. Uh, I see a guy walking on the catwalk with like a wheelbarrow. And I asked the rink person that was sitting next to me, I go, what the heck is that guy doing up there during the game? And she goes, he's filling up the fireworks. We only have enough for eight. (laughs) (laughs) We load them all. So uh, we ended up losing that game. And I ended up getting into the lineup uh, the next game and uh, played pretty good. And we won. And we went on a bit of a, a winning streak. And that kind of solidified my spot for the remainder of that season. Um, and then, you know, it, it just turns out Cornwall comes back into it because we were playing them in the playoffs. Uh, this is the last year of my contract, and we were playing the Ottawa Senators farm team, uh, which was uh, the Cornwall Aces. And I had a really good playoff deal, and um, the season's over. And I don't know where I'm going to go. And I get a call from Glenn Sonmore again, the guy who was with the North Stars, then Philadelphia. Now he's with the Minnesota Moose uh, in that transition when uh, when the the Wild weren't here yet before the Wild. Uh, Because my wife, she was pre-med and she had was accepted, did her MCATs, did her internship when we were in Hershey. She was ready to start medical school at Minnesota, and he knew that. Um, so he said, why don't you just give up on your NHL dream? Uh, you can still play close to home. Your wife can do her deal. And uh, talked it over with my wife, and she was actually the one that said no because we had one other offer, and that was from Ottawa. Uh, it was a two-way deal, but she was the one that said they're the only team that's affiliated with the NHL and that's where you want to end up being. So uh, let's do that for a year or two. I can always go to medical school and we ended up signing with Ottawa. Well, you truly married a hockey mom. So (laughs) we'll get, like I said, we'll talk about that later. But um, what made you stick that out? I mean, I, when I used to work, go for baseball as an equipment manager, um, for 12 years, I would always tell guys there's no other team that's going to take better care of you than the Minnesota Twins while you're playing at the University of Minnesota baseball. And they would all go, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then they'd go off and play minors and come back. And the first thing they'd tell me, oh, JB, you can't believe it. I, I got to buy this. I got to buy that. I got to buy my own batting gloves. I got to buy my own glove. I got to buy my own bat. And it was like, yeah. I said, that's why I told you, you won't get better taken care of than you are right now. But what made you, what gave you the stick to it to stick that, stick that out? Well, it's interesting that you, you say this. Cause I just, uh, I also have, uh, a, I just started a podcast in January called the hockey journey podcast. And I just did an episode uh, talking about a book called the hero with a thousand faces, which turned into being something known as the, the hero's journey. And so I'm researching it. And basically what it is, is you, 
you, you start off in a, an ordinary uh, world where, you know, just whatever's been going on in your life is going on. And then you get uh, a call to adventure. And for me, it was hockey. You know, something kept drawing me to hockey and made me want to keep going over to the outdoor pond during the winter, you know, shoot pucks, all these things, you know, kids nowadays playing mini sticks, street hockey, roller hockey, all that stuff. Um, and then uh, you have some adversity. Uh, you know, you go, you go, you know, once you get that call to adventure, you, you, you step into the unknown. Uh, most hockey players don't know if they're going to make it or not, but they're, they're hopeful and, and you have some adversity. So I look at sitting out those three months that that was kind of my ordeal and I got through it. Uh, I became wiser and uh, I, I just wanted, to, you know, it was like unfinished business. You know, I, I, I had the, the dream of one day uh, just playing one NHL game and, and having a hockey card. Right. <laughs> I wanted to show kids I had a hockey card. Uh, you know, so I signed with Ottawa and, you know, it, it's just what else were you going to do? You know, my best friend, I, I would see him in the summer, you know, how's your life been treating you? He goes, oh, man, the last month he did, did construction. He said, I've been overhead jackhammering in some parking garage, you know, in, you know, 95 degree heat. And I was making more money than him and trying to complain, right. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't work with him. And, and he was good. You know, he's like, I don't want to listen to this, you know, puck off. See ya. <laughs> uh, so that, that kind of, you know, and my wife, you know, I, I think it was, it was fun for us to, to be able to play in different places. So when we signed with Ottawa, again, cup of coffee at training camp, and I got sent to their minor league team, uh, which was in Prince Edward Island, uh, out in the Maritimes. Uh, you ever hear of Prince Edward Island? No, I have not, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, not many people, but, like, very close to where Sidney Crosby and McKinnon, I think they're Nova Scotia, they're not Newfoundland, I think Nova Scotia, but... Out there, you know, it's out east coast, north, out in the ocean, and it was it was cool. Uh, and that first year there, that was a lockout year, um, and it was interesting because in it, when I was in Hershey, I was a young player on the team. They had a lot of older veterans, and then when I got to Prince Edward Island, all of a sudden, you know, I'm I don't think I was the oldest. I think it's the second oldest. So all of a sudden, you go into this. Uh, leadership role and our coach there his name was dave allison you know he put me in that role and uh i had a really good year uh made it to the all-star game that year the ahl all-star game and then shortly after that the um the lockout ended and i got called up um and i played 15 games um and it was you know i i had made it uh this is a cool story <laughs> Well, my first, before my first NHL game. So on Prince Edward Island, Sundays are just, you know, it's a ghost town till about 12 o'clock and people, restaurants and stuff open up. So uh, we had just played a weekend series and we had the day off. So I'm sitting watching TV, reading the paper while my wife was making breakfast. Um, and like I said, the lockout had just ended. Uh, so my wife pokes her head out and she goes, 
maybe you should start fighting more and maybe you'll get called up then. <laughs> and I told her, I said, you know what, honey, if I can't make it the way, you know, I'm playing, I guess it's not meant to be. And I, I kid you not, I bet you an hour later, phone rang and we got the call. So, um, and literally I had to be at the airport within 90 minutes. So I had to race to the rink and, so we get to the airport with my wife and my wife goes, well, what do I do? <laughs> like, you know what? I honestly, I, I haven't really thought about you right now, <laughs> but I should have. Right. Uh, we, we kind of parted just saying that, let me get the lay of the land. And, you know, maybe in a couple of days we can, you can fly out. So I, I flew to Ottawa. Someone picked me up, dropped off my gear, dropped me off at the hotel and I give her a call and tell her I'm there safe. And she's, um, usually she's pretty chatty and mm -hmm. that night she was just like, all right, well, you just probably settle in the movie, have something to eat and I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm like, all right, this is awesome. Um, so I do my, watch the movie, movie I watched my first, the night before my first NHL games, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, didn't sleep much that night. Very, very nervous. Uh, went to the morning skate, had my pregame meal, took my nap, um, I was getting ready to walk out the door at about uh, 3.50, and there's a knock at the door. And I'm like, Ooh, who's that? So I go over there, and I open it up, and it's my wife. So she wasn't chatty because the only way off the island uh, at that time was uh, not a flight. It was a ferry. Mm -hmm. So she had the last ferry off the island uh, and drove straight through the night through snowstorms and everything and just got there when I saw her, and she goes... <laughs> It's my first game too, and I'm not going to miss it. So, uh, she was there for my first game, and uh, it was pretty special. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, so you, you get to the rink, you get dressed. It's time for warmups. Uh, back when you played, did they have the uh, thing where the rookie would take the first lap by himself? And if they did. How did that feel for you? For me, to be honest with you, I, I don't remember having to do that. Um, and I, there was, uh, and maybe that's because there was, I think, uh, another, another player that also got called up at the same time. So I, I, I don't remember that happening. Uh, I do remember that uh, in Ottawa, they played at this rink downtown that had, it was basically a square rink. And one of the your safety valves as a defenseman is to be able to ring the puck hard around the boards or off the glass and right. get it out. Well, because it was kind of squared, uh, you'd throw it in the corner and basically you'd just be serving up pizzas to the defenseman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, we ended up losing the game. And uh, I think that I was trying to chip the puck out on one play, it got picked off and they ended up scoring and uh, we ended up losing the game. And this is back when, Ottawa was an expansion team and, you know, they were lucky if they won 15 games that season. So I just was like, holy cow, I'm just fitting right into this cluster. But uh, I give the credit to Rick Bonus, who was the head coach uh, after the game. He came up to me and he says, congratulations. And he says, hey, on that last play, would you have done something different? And I said, yeah, I would have got it out. He says, okay, do that next game. You're in. And that was it. So. You know, he 
with that conversation right there, he basically eliminated, you know, a night of just wondering what the heck is coach thinking about me. Mm-hmm. So I was able to go uh, celebrate that game with my wife. And, uh, you know, it's uh, led on to 392 more games in that league over time. Well, just one last question about that uh, game. And, do you recall what the celebration was with your wife? Did you go to a fancy restaurant or? Uh, no, we we uh, <laughs> the hotel that they they were housing us in uh, was called the Mento Suites at the time, and this was like a five star hotel. <laughs> okay. So we didn't have to go anywhere, and we actually became. Uh, over time became friends with the, the head guy, the, the owner of the restaurant. So uh, we had just went back to the restaurant um, and just were together and uh, kind of a quiet moment for the, for the two of us, still not knowing what was going to happen. You know, we didn't have any expectation was like you got called up and now you made it. You're in the NHL till you're done. You know, there, there was a, still a lot of uncertainty for for probably two more years but mm-hmm. uh for that one night you'll never have another first so i, I was uh super grateful that uh she felt the same and she went out of her way to get there yeah that was that was had to be a wonderful surprise so you know you you know now your career's taken off um do you start to feel more comfortable about being in the league and not worried about being uh, cut or, or dropped down? So that didn't happen until my third year. Um, so I ended up playing 15 games, I think, that first year. Uh, my second year, I didn't make the team out of, the, out of camp, but uh, I was called up shortly after, and I was, I was doing that routine where I'd get called up, sent down, um, and sometimes I wouldn't even play. I would just go up in case the, the one guy couldn't play. Uh, and that happened most of the year. But I was up most the second part of the year. I was up most of the year. But they didn't tell me to get a place or anything. So I was just in a hotel pretty much the whole year. So my going in my third year, uh, I ended up making the team out of camp uh, for the first time ever. Uh, but I was the seventh defenseman, so I, I – hadn't played a game yet and I think we were five five or six games in that season and we were playing uh, the New Jersey Devils in New Jersey and we had two defensemen go down with season-ending knee injuries mm-hmm. uh Sean who's another Minnesota guy and then a guy uh, European named Stanislaus Neskash so you know you just don't know when your opportunity is going to come because you know, I was the seventh defenseman, and all of a sudden now I, I move into the fifth spot, and I ended up playing in the rest of the games that season, uh, and that was my contract year. So um, you had talked about two-way contracts. I had been on a two-way contract uh, all of Philadelphia and then my first one in Ottawa, and, to, you know, they offered me a one-way contract. It wasn't great money. I mean, I actually could have made more money playing for the Minnesota Moose <laughs> than they did with that one-way contract just because of the, 
the exchange rate. I was making Canadian, uh, but it was a one-way and a one-way contract is kind of a golden ticket. You know, it's uh, them saying you're accepted. Uh, so when I got that contract, that to answer your question, you know, yeah, I wasn't thinking about being a healthy scratch anymore. Uh, when I was healthy, I played, and that uh, that lasted uh, the rest of my career in Ottawa, which was, I believe, two more seasons uh, before I became a free agent. And you, you became a free agent. You moved on. Uh, you went to – was it Florida? Yep, I had uh, – had three three teams that were interested. So that's the one thing when you make it to free agency, you just hope that there's another team that's interested to kind of sweeten the pot a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Florida Panthers, I had the Nashville Predators, and then the New York Rangers. Um, New York was out because just the you know you look at it as as a business. You know their their uh, state the taxes that you have to pay in New York are incredibly different than down in Nashville or um, Florida. Uh, Nashville was a new team, uh, expansion team. I wasn't getting any younger, so that's why we ended up going with the Florida Panthers. They had just uh, had that run the year of the Rats when they played, I think, Colorado in the finals Mm -hmm. uh, down in Miami. So I was really excited to be able to to play down there. and I signed a three-year contract with them, and it was the craziest three years I could have imagined. <laughs> so as all of this is going on, when did you become a father? Uh, that was my third year, third or fourth year in Ottawa. It was 1997, and... Um, my we were in buffalo i remember we were in buffalo and my wife was getting close and uh you know cell phones weren't going around and you know i don't know if it happens with other pro sports but i'm sure it does but when you're on the road there always seems to be someone that will call you in the middle of the night and just hang up or Mm -hmm. you know laugh on the other end so you very quickly learn to unplug the phones in your room. Oh no! And make sure you set alarms. So uh, we had we had done that, and all of a sudden, you know, we're woken up uh, probably like at five in the morning, and it's our trainer telling me that my wife went into labor. Uh, so to go to his room, uh, and we'll figure out how we're going to get you back. So the quickest way that they determined, just because they're all the flights out of Buffalo were full. There's there wasn't any to Ottawa. I had to take a taxi cab from Buffalo to Toronto. <laughs> and then from Toronto, I flew to Ottawa. And when I got there, you know, you just see what's in the movies that, you know, you're just going to get there in the nick of time. The nurses are going to run you in, get you gowned up, and you witness your birth. And I get there, and my wife's in her bed watching a show eating jello. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a long time. And I remember that uh, I was hungry, so nothing was going on. So I went down to get a bite to eat. And when I was coming back, I saw in this little waiting room um, near the near where everyone was, there was a little room that had a TV in, and there was a guy in there watching the game. 
So I, I kind of snuck in there and was watching and kind of lost track of time. Mm-mm. And all of a sudden, the nurse comes in. The guy that I was in there with, he ended up leaving. So it was just me in there. And the nurse comes in and she goes, Lance, uh, it's time. And I said, uh, all right, awesome. I said, there's like three minutes left. I'll be right there. <laughs> I said that. <laughs> and she went over just politely and calmly, uh, turned off the TV, and she said, Lance, it's time. Uh, and that's where it became real. So uh, went in, and my son Rem was born. Now, you have Rem, and you're, who's also in the family business, playing in the, in the NHL, and your youngest son's name at the university is... Rhett. Yes. Uh, R instead of a B. Mm-hmm. Rhett. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He just finished his uh, freshman year. Um, so uh, that was a, a tough one at the end. But uh, right. those, uh, those were some really good teams in that final four there. But um, so getting back to you. What at what point did you decide oh, it's time to hang hang him up? And um, start thinking about what your next steps could be. Yeah, for me, um, you know, I, I went through a similar situation in Florida my last year, where there I had a I had a clause in my contract that if I played in X amount of games over the first three years, then I would get a fourth year guaranteed. And uh, I think I had to play maybe in 62 games that third year to, to get that, that fourth year. So I, uh, all of a sudden I find myself, I'm a healthy scratch and I'm a healthy scratch. And it's again, just over three months. Uh, and because of that, I couldn't get that fourth year. So I was, I was in a tough spot. Uh, that, those were some dark times. Uh, Mike Keenan came in that they, that 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 franchise uh, after that first year. You know the team was sold. Mm-hmm. We had I think three general managers, two or three in the three years I was there. There was a new coach every year. Mike Keenan was the the last one, and you know he he didn't make life easy for guys in, in positions like I was. So uh, I didn't know what was going to happen after that year ended. Uh, but I ended up signing with Colorado and I went out there probably three weeks early because I always struggled with the altitude when we played out there just to get acclimated. And we flew out to Quebec for an exhibition game because Bob Hartley was the, the head coach and uh, he was the coach when they were in Quebec. So it was kind of a special homecoming. And um, on the way out there, I... I felt my back kind of slip out. I got a couple of herniated discs and I can feel it when they go out and I didn't say anything. And I did my rehab at the hotel. Uh, the next day uh, I, I got through the pregame skate and I thought, okay, I might be okay. And I find out that I'm playing. So I go down uh, to the lobby ready to get a cab to the game. And uh, I know that I can't play. You know, I was hopeful, but I know that I can't play and not, you know, not play the way I'm supposed to play. And in my whole career, I've always went to the, I'm always to the rink about three hours before the game. I've never ridden to the rink with a coach. Mm -hmm. I've always been with another player just by myself. 
And all of a sudden the head coach is in the lobby with me and he, uh, he says, you going to the rink? I'm like, yep. He goes, you want to share a cab? And I'm like, yep. And he's French. I'm not going to do my French accent, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so we're driving and, uh, he didn't say much, but right there, I just had a moment of clarity. I mean, I had that summer of training wasn't great because I just kept on getting these little nagging injuries where I could still work out, but I couldn't push myself anywhere near what I needed to do. And I went into camp and I was just trying to not get hurt. Um, and it just, I don't know, I, I was driving in the cab, looking out the window and something came over me saying that that's it and it's okay. Um, so I just said, coach, uh, I think I'm retiring. And he, you know, I, obviously I got his attention <laughs> when I say, it. uh, but he says, really? And I'm like, yeah. And we talked for a second. He goes, well, don't tell anyone. Um, he says, we fly back tomorrow, which was a Sunday. He says, come to my office on Monday. And if you feel the same way, we'll make it official. Uh, so we had uh, flown back and I went in there um, and that was it. Uh, the other, <laughs> I had some friends there from Ottawa and we went to dinner because I asked the coach, I said, I got some friends here. Do you mind if I just go out to dinner and not go to the game? I just kind of want to be with, you know, away from the game. And he's like, yeah. So we had a nice dinner and then we went and walked down by uh, a river and I told him that I was retiring. And then, uh, <laughs> so they were congratulations. So I called my wife and her answer was, the puck you are. <laughs> I'll be in Colorado, you know, when you get there. And I was just like, hon, you can't fix this. Uh, my body's just, you can't do it anymore. So, yeah, so that was, uh, that's how it ended for me. And uh, I was okay with it. And I've never regretted the decision. And I've, uh, I, I missed the, the times with the guys and stuff, but I, uh, everything else, I, I'm just, good with it being over and grateful for the experiences. You know, it comes a time that every, every athlete or person in general has to make that decision. When does it stop? Uh, for you, then you're, you know, you're out, you're, you're not playing anymore. You got a young family. That's mm -hmm. probably the reason why you, um, um, got into youth coaching, but at what point did you decide to make this a business for yourself to train athletes? Did you fall in love with it because of your time with your kids or did you use your kids as guinea pigs? Uh, great question. <laughs> um, I think what, what initially drew me in was fear on a couple levels. One was if you have a kid who is going to play hockey and he has a dad that played in the NHL, you have no choice. You have to coach. <laughs> yeah. And you knew nothing about how to teach a four and a five year old, how to skate or teach stick handling or anything like that. Uh, so I, I just kind of, I was lucky cause I got uh, mentored by some, guys that didn't play even high school hockey, but they were unreal might coaches and 
Uh, I just, they taught me just enthusiasm, preparation, fun. Uh, and I just, I, something this happened where, okay, uh, I'm going to do this. And I, I told my wife, I said, if the, if the kids, if they gravitate towards hockey, I'll commit to coaching them and their buddies, you know, as long as they want me to or, or whatever. So, uh, I went on this journey and, you know, the other fear part was, and this didn't happen until, you know, the kids maybe started getting into sports, you know, when I, I started to learn more and things, I have a creative mind. Uh, so I, I started, doors started opening and things started popping into my head. We're like, this might be a opportunity to check out. But I, you know, for me, uh, at the end of every NHL season, even college season, you always have an exit meeting with your coaches and your strength and conditioning coach. And every single coach, every single meeting would say, oh, and by the way, if there's one thing that you can do besides, you know, getting stronger and a little quicker is uh, work on your hands. Mm-hmm. And they would give us a booklet that would have all our workouts on there, like every exercise. Uh, but I was waiting there for the, the stick handling and shooting workbook and there was nothing. And I had no idea how to get better. There was no one in a, down around here that I knew that uh, specialized in that. There was no internet so you could see what's possible on YouTube and stuff like that. So um I knew that that was a niche. Now, the other thing was, is that, you know, I called myself uh, a hockey predator when I played because as, as much as kids want to, you know, they think about scoring that goal, I spent the same amount of time dreaming about blowing up kids. Right. Uh, and I kind of put two and two together. I wasn't a math guy, but I said the odds of someone like me coming up the same ages of my kids, that's pretty good. Uh, that, that's the odds are pretty good that that's going to happen. So for a lot of time, I, I was just, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about um, why, you know, the guys that I would hit, what were they doing? You know, what weren't they doing? And I just, nothing really came to, to the surface as glaring. And then all of a sudden one day I'm like, how about the guys that I never could hit? Maybe let's look at them. And because there was guys, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Yarmar Yager, Adam Oates, uh, you know, uh, Iserman, Peter Forsberg, Joe Sackick, Pavel Bury. Uh, you just couldn't hit them. Mm-hmm. And why? Because they, when they had the puck on their stick, they were in control. I mean, they knew where everything was on the ice, especially me. And they just never let their guard down. So right there, the key just kind of clicked where it's the hands. It's what your ability to handle the puck. And, uh, you know, it's what I lacked and it's what these guys had. So I just became a student uh, to really specialize in that. And I did this, you know, side by side, you know, during a a 17-year coaching career. And in my learning, um, you know, my I was – there's a guy here in Minnesota named Greg Dornbach. So uh, after the winter season, there's another season that starts for Minnesotans. It's called AAA, you know, it's spring, yes. summer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, that was the first time that uh, my oldest had played AAA and this Greg Dornbach, he gave uh, the kids stick a piece of paper and it was a stick handling homework where they'd have to work on a few drills. And after a while, my, my kid was like, dad, give me some more. I, I got this stuff down and I couldn't tell him anything. So that's when it started. And, uh, you know, it uh, over a decade's time of uh, researching, uh, experimenting, uh, I, I now own the largest database of off-ice stick handling and shooting drills in the world. I had lessons at my house and uh, I, I'm just trying to, to teach kids how, you know, more, I guess more importantly, what all of all the developmental puzzle pieces, how many are there? And, uh, you know, then let them decide. And in, in a lot of cases, most players don't know how to go from average hands, shot passing to uh, elite. But uh, now I know. So it was, it was an evolution um, of just hanging in there um, and just being curious and then uh, seeing the reaction of uh, not only my kids, but uh, the kids that I coached and the kids that I trained. And that, that's just kind of how it all kind of became. Yeah, we, I had a similar journey to you. I wandered into a, a uh, youth hockey meeting, and the guy who was running the program looked, <laughs> looked at all the dads and said, how many of you can skate? And I put my hand up, and he said, well, <laughs> did you play high school hockey? I was like, no, didn't have that in St. Louis. I said, I just played intramural hockey over to you and kind of got some lessons from Bill Butters. And he said, oh, good, you're a coach. <laughs> I was just like, what? But, but uh, I learned, the, you know, because it was a might program, and I learned how to become enthusiastic and how to keep the energy going, to keep those young people busy and keep them excited. So I totally understand what you're talking about. But it's it's – it's probably clear that your um, your research and you, and you building your business has played a major part in development of your two sons. Like I said, one's in the NHL and one's at the U. And um, so you kind of did use them. I would say that you did use them as guinea pigs. Also, I think you have a nephew in the league too. Yeah, uh, it's ironic that uh, my oldest is in Montreal. My nephew, he was in Calgary, but got traded, and he's now in Montreal. And then my youngest uh, is also drafted by Montreal. So (laughs) it's just weird how it all happened. Well, somebody likes your development plan. That's what's going on. Uh, You want to talk about your your program? It's... um onlinehockeytraining.com and um, talk about what you offer. And um, I'm also wondering, does it offer like a leadership component in there or personal building? Is that a piece of it? I guess I'll touch on that. You know, I guess that's what I hope this podcast, you know, as an arm of online hockey training where, uh, you know, I know I'm on your podcast, but I have my own podcast and, 
Um, you know, I interview uh, former players and master coaches. And so, yeah, I, there is that component. Um, it's it's not directly under online hockey training, but it's uh, it's part of it. And then, you know, my, my kids as guinea pigs, um, I, I have, uh, I think I have just over 350 players that I train here at my facility and all of them have been guinea pigs. <laughs> and the one, the one thing it's, it's not about working with me. It's not about the reps that they're getting with me. I mean, working with me is, is important if you're local because I can, I can make corrections right on the spot. I can give tips and suggestions right on the spot, but the biggest gains that a player is going to make is the the repetitions that they're going to get in at home. Um, but I, I was lucky that my kids gravitated toward it. They loved being in our space at home. And, you know, when they're younger, there's a period of time where kids like you to be around, you know? So I was around during that time. And then when buddies would come over and stuff, and as they got older, then dad, you're not allowed in here. Get out of here. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it's been, it's been fun learning uh, because I, I love the game. I mean, I'm uh, I've been around my whole life. I'm almost uh, 55 here and, I am still learning something new on a weekly basis in the sport of hockey. Uh, so that, uh, I guess it means that I, I'm in the right sector because I wake up every morning uh, just excited to, to be able to do what I do and to work with the players I get to work with. Yeah, as a kid growing up in St. Louis, I wish that there was the outreach programs that you see now in the inner cities. And also somebody like you whose life object, objective is to help as many players reach their hockey dreams because that was always my dream was to be a hockey player. And I guess I became one in a sense. Yeah. You know, I, you know, cause I played on a, an orga, organization called team media, which was run by let's play hockey magazine. And we would travel through the state and play charity games. So I guess I did sort of kind of become a hockey player. But uh, that is a great life ob- objective to have. Um, how does that make you feel seeing those players develop and grow? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I cherish those moments. And actually, today, I train way more girl players than I do boys. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, it's, it's different with girls because they don't have the same opportunity. Uh, you know, they, they have to use hockey as a vehicle because that's how they can get, you know, ahead in life by getting a college scholarship and that, you know, coming out of there with a degree and no debt. Uh, there is some professional leagues for them, but uh, you don't make much money. Uh, you're basically just playing for the passion and, you know, you got uh, a, a small, small group that are, are in the, uh, the Olympian category and, you know, they're, they're not getting rich. I just had one that, uh, you know, she, she was done with college and um, was playing a little pro 
and they had that work dispute and and she went with the USA program I think or whatever but uh, her last hockey uh, objective was to play in her second Olympics and uh, she made it I still don't know if she's gonna retire yet but um, you know it's it's pretty gratifying because I usually players that I get to work with JB are it's not they come over for a, a couple less and then I don't see him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I working with players. I've been working with a, you know a lot of players for over ten years. Uh, you know, some seven, eight, nine years. Um, and we may not see each other, you know, on a monthly basis, but you know, it's it's a, a constant presence. And I remember a consistent presence. I remember reading something about Tom Brady, um, where every before he starts training or at some point during his off-season training he always goes and spends uh, a few days or a week with his uh, youth coach um, wow. because he, he just said you know you always you go get grounded and you know it's all about the fundamentals and um, so that that's what's pretty cool about it um, and you're talking about working with so many young ladies uh, I had a father of a young lady that I actually worked for at the university. And um, he was telling me that that is the biggest opportunity for a female athlete to wind up in college right now. So just to just play hockey. Yeah. 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 Follow- from Minnesota, you know, middle, you know, being in Minnesota is already a competitive advantage because in girls hockey, you know, it's Minnesota, uh, probably Massachusetts, um, you know, a couple other spots, uh, and then Canadians. So Minnesota is one of the first places that they, they're looking and heavily looking. So if you're here and you got some skill, you're going to be uh, probably getting a college look. Yeah, so that's that's nice. So you, you've had one son go through college now you have another one in college. Yep. Um, and you remember your college days. Can you think about and and talk about the differences from when you played and what they and how things are for them now? And I try to explain to people it is night and day different from the 80s when we were in college to now with NIL and transfer portals and the the stuff that they receive and all those things. Can you kind of talk about what you've noticed and uh, what your thoughts are? Well, and then COVID too, throw that in there. And now players, uh, you know, have had the opportunity to come back to play a fifth year. Right. Uh, as of that. And, you know, that just opens up a whole new can of worms where coaches are, yeah, it's there, but we're not going to offer it to you. Or, you know, so I don't know, I guess, for me, the biggest thing is uh, just the visibility of everything um, with uh, with social media, the smartphones. I think that there's just uh, a lot of pressure today. You know, anytime there's a draft or an award recognition, I mean, everyone knows about it. And, you know, good things spread fast, but if it's a bad thing, they spread even faster. Mm-hmm. So... I think the pressures of that um, are, are, are more intense. 
uh, I, you know, we didn't have to go through that when we were that age. And then I, I think the, just the specialization, uh, I think the one positive thing that, uh, like YouTube has provided is, uh, it's really improved the coaching. Uh, if we're just talking about hockey, but I'm sure it uh, transfers to all the other sports is that, you know, coaches are just more informed. They're more educated now. And the ability to share information, to share drills, and to be able to access that easily, I think, has just uh, pushed the envelope. I mean, I've been using YouTube for years to research and to find Europeans to just see if I could pick up something that I've never, uh, you know, seen before. And so I think that that's uh, that's helped. But also, like I said, like what I do, you know. There wasn't a guy like me when I was growing up and now there's many guys like mm -hmm. me and every sector. I mean, you got strength and conditioning, you got uh, on ice uh, skill stuff, technical skating, you got nutritionists, you got uh, vision training. Now the, the most recent is uh, guys that, uh, you know, the players send in their shifts from their game and video analysis giving them hints there. Uh, so there's just so much, uh, you just gotta, gotta learn how to sift through the, uh, all the average and try to find out who the, the best ones are. And my advice to any listeners, um, that have kids that are playing is, you know, go up a couple level from where levels from where your kid is and try to have conversations with, uh, the parents of the top players, uh, in your area and see what they're doing. Who are they get getting in front of? Because uh, probably not a bad idea to follow their footsteps. And, you know, I think that that's the other thing that uh, everyone, not, not only players, but as a life lesson, is that if there's something that you're pursuing, JB, that, you know, because information is so easy to access and once someone has made it uh, to the top of the mountain, whatever sector there is, uh, especially now with podcasts, um, there is just uh, unlimited amount of uh, interviews and nuggets of uh, people's journey that have uh, gone before you that are, are sharing their path and, and giving you basically a roadmap uh, to follow on what made their uh, path uh, successful and then, uh, you know, some areas to, to avoid. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's twofold, a lot of pressure because you're under a microscope, but then uh, there, there's really no excuses if you want to try to pursue something because all the information on how to get there is there by people who have gotten to that point. Well, I'll, I'll leave this to be my final question, Lance. And I, I want to thank you for coming on. And I'll, uh, it's been nice reconnecting with you. Like I said, I used to do your dirty laundry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think of name, image, and likeness and uh, how it's affecting college athletics and hockey in general? Uh, you know what? I haven't... Uh... I'm not a, I don't consume a lot of news, uh, unfortunately, just because I'm, you know, I don't, there's only 24 hours in a day, but mm -hmm. uh, I haven't personally, my kids haven't personally been 
affected by that. Uh, players that I train that are playing at the, the college level, um, nothing really, I mean, no one's got any big endorsements. Uh, I mean, there's college kids that are playing college athletics that are making, you know, more than the, the dean of the college because they got a YouTube channel or something, <laughs> you right. know? Um, so I, I think, you know, I look back at my college career. My, my parents were, you know, lower middle class and we didn't have a lot of extra money. And when I was in college, I mean, when you're on scholarship and you, you can't work, um, you know, there's not a lot of extra money if your parents don't have much. So I would, uh, I didn't do this during the season, but, uh, after the season, once a week, I'd go to the plasma shop and give plasma, get 20 bucks to go to follow play for a couple of beers and get some pizza. So if there's a way that uh, college kids can can earn a couple bucks because of uh, all the hard work that they put into developing into a world class athlete, uh, I, I think it's a good rule. Well, again, I want to thank you for coming on. Before we started, you were telling me about your crazy schedule, your sleep schedule, your tra- your training of others' schedule. Um, I, you know, God bless you, man, because I know I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, can you tell uh, the listeners where they could reach out to you if they if they want your services? Yeah. Yep. So my. Uh for my in-person uh, lessons, I have a facility here at my house, and that website is sweethockeycoach.com, sweethockeycoach.com, and there's a video on the homepage. Uh, you just have to create an account there. Uh, doesn't cost you anything, but you'll get notified that it was created. I'll get notified, and then I'll text you, and we'll schedule a call to set up the first lesson. And then my uh, online off-ice stick handling pass shooting program, uh, world's largest largest database of uh, drills, 1,200 uh, broken up into 64 pre-made practice plans. Uh, that can be found at onlinehockeytraining.com. And before anyone buys, uh, there's a there's a 10-part video series that uh, you can gain access to. Again, it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, you just got to provide your email address, but uh, it, it basically tells everything that I've learned in hockey and uh, development uh, and obviously specific to uh, stick skill development uh, that I encourage you to, uh, to take a look at if you've got a young kid or someone that's passionate about hockey because it's, uh, it's everything that I've learned over the last uh, you know 40 years of playing and a lot of it was in the last 10 years and uh, there's some significant information, one being how, how long on average do players have the puck on their stick in a 60-minute practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not much. You'd be surprised. But uh, So that's where they can find me. Um, I, I love what I do. Um, I'm a servant to others, and uh, my vehicle, luckily, is uh, something that I love, and it's hockey. So I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do what I do, and I love waking up every day. All right. Like I stated, Lance, thank you for coming on. It's been fun uh, catching up with you. Uh, you bring, just talking to you is bringing back a ton of memories from uh, 
skating around old Mariucci, you know, hanging out down in that that terrible locker room <laughs> down yeah. there. And yeah. uh, the people, the what made it fun was the people. Like I said, you know, Harry Broadfoot, Patty Babcock, uh, Bob Broxterman, Bill Butters, all those type of people. They're, they're the people that made it fun to be around and, um, you know, want to go to games and hang around doing practice and all those things. So, did you ever did you ever go to uh, Stub and Herbs? Oh yeah, like the, the boosters. I mean, that was another connection that was really special that isn't happening today. You know, I right. loved going there after games and hanging out with the boosters for a little while. Yeah, um, I got dr- drugged to places by Harry, but some a lot of times he had to stay after games, but sometimes by Patty. You know, whoever I could hitch you know hitch on to hang out with after a game and whatnot. It was, you know, you always, especially in Minnesota, there was always a connection to a connection to a connection. So you always got to meet and talk with hockey people who are some of the best people that you can meet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, JB, for your show. I, uh, I appreciate it and uh, best of luck to you and uh, have a great week. Yeah. You too. Take care. All right, my man. Yeah.
the month of April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month. And here to give us more information on the terrible things that can happen while driving distracted is my sponsor, Mike Bryant of Bryant Shaw and Bryant Law Firm. In Pennsylvania, a teenage girl that was about to turn 18 was driving her brand new car home when she looked down to check a text message and struck a tree, killing herself and injuring a friend in the car. The average message takes 4.6 seconds to create. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. Please don't drive while intoxicated or allow your friends and family to do so. No text message or phone call is worth dying for. Find Mike Bryant at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Mike Bryant, seeking justice for the injured. wonderful to catch up with Lance Pitlick again, uh, college classmate. Like, it's my third time stating this, but uh, it's truth. Uh, One of my part-time jobs was to do laundry for some of the teams that didn't have laundry in their building, and so I would do Lance's uh, laundry in the uh, old Beerman equipment room. Um. If you're a hockey parent, please reach out for his services and uh, help develop your son or daughter, as he stated. He's working with a lot of young ladies these days. Um, Again, I want to remind people that I've made the big step and also moved my podcast can be heard on um, Apple Podcasts and also uh, Podbean, my podcast. regular home for podcasts that's it until next time take care of yourself here on the jb's low tech podcast jb is my name and f-ing up motherfuckers is my game right on negro black african-american black 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 Django. jb damn Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know JB, our great Negro sex machine.